Broadcasting from Oklahoma, the tornado capital of the world, home of the Oklahoma City Thunder and the University of Oklahoma Sooners. This is the Curated Experience Show, a weekly podcast about the customer experience with viewpoints you will not hear anywhere else. And now your host, author, and customer experience expert, Amos Tanuma. Welcome to the Curated Experience. I am your host, Amos Tanuma. I've got Bob Furness, my partner in crime, with me. Bob, are you still with me? I am still here, sir. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, We are having our usual Friday conversations, which is a great end to my week. And I hope um, for our listeners, whenever you listen to this, hopefully this brings you some education and some... Uh, some humor as well. So glad to be talking with you again, Bob. Let's uh let's let's dive in. So today I, I want to talk a little bit about um contact center centers and makeovers. Um and this really came to me because there was um I think I was on Twitter and I saw some contact center one uh, makeover and then I was reading through the details and it was it, it was it was hilarious. So let me let me set the stage. The contact center has a stereotype. Did you ever see that? Um, there was a show about a contact center in India like 10, 12 years ago. Did you ever watch that? I watched every <laughs> single every single uh, every single episode. Dude. <laughs> like, I think it was I think it was early. It was either early Netflix or early Prime yeah. uh, on Amazon. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. watched it. No, I, I, it was it was hilarious. If I remember, if I remember correctly, I binged it. So, oh yeah, see, yeah. I I watched it on television, television. So maybe you okay. watched it years later. Like I, like yeah. I, I was DVR in that thing <laughs> when it when it came. Out. I was on one of the networks, but um, so I'm glad you, I'm glad you did. I I didn't know you you saw it too because it didn't get a lot of play. But if you think about the the stereotype of the typical contact center or call center then when when this show was on um it's generally employees who are not uh can we say exuberant you know repetitive work it's a surveillance system the pay is not that great stop me when i get get any kind of good news um, and I'm and I'm painting it all with a broad brush. But if you if you think about the reputations of call centers then and contact centers now, yes, there are some positive things. But I, I think you will agree that um, the typical contact center comes with a lot of a lot of negative um, stereotypes. Yeah, and it. It it does that because of shows. By the way, the name of that show was called Outsourced. It, oh yeah, Google just, Google yeah. just told me it was from t- 2010. Yep. So um, yep. The gosh, ten years ago. Wow. The um, it 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 is those kind of shows. I you know the counter of that is where we are now showing that contact centers in in commercials are part of the brand. Uh, Geico does that. State Farm does that. Um, Discover that, does that, that right? That, yeah. that, that Discover does that. Discover probably does it more positively than anyone else. Um, so the contrast of those is probably the contrast between, um, I don't know, maybe 30% of the contact centers and the other 70 that where you can build 
a career, you can build a job structure, you can come into the organization and do good work and become become a supervisor and become a trainer and become um, a leader. And I know that because I did it. Right. Um, So same here. So um, but but you're right. The stereotypical call center is is grossly underpaid. Um, What's also interesting about that scenario of the reality versus the reality is when you talk as a consultant, you talk to customers, what, what you will hear about 80% of the time is, well, we're not really a contact center. We're really different. Um, or we're really a, uh, we're really something else. Right. And the reality is there are different ways to run a contact center, Correct. right? Um, you, you can define it different ways, but, um, you know, I've been in some really, really professional contact centers where um I, i'll mention the name delta faucets had a contact center somewhere in the north it was really really cold i just remember that i don't remember where it was <laughs> but you know they had a lady that had been in, in that contact center for 20 years wow. and so she had made uh, a career out of being the expert about delta faucets um so there are people like us like many of the people listening uh, who are now supervisors that have probably been in their roles in that contact center probably somewhere from three to five years. And they're, they they may be at the point where they're sh- trying to think, is this is this something I really want to do? Do I want to go somewhere else? What do I want to do? Um, which I think we all get around the three to five year itch around what, what does a job look like? Right. But but there is a, a, an, a, an industry around this that that says you can decide to be in the vendor side of, of a call center world and having worked in a call center, go to work for, um, you know, nice or variant or somebody who is, who is selling products into the contact center. You can go into the contact center and decide to go into consulting around contact centers. You could decide to go down the Salesforce path and become an admin. And so there's a lot of opportunity but you're right. The the stereotypical call call center has a bad rap. Yeah, and, and 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 to that point, let's let's drill in a little bit. You talked about and you mentioned named on the on the positives, but let's let's do the anatomy of where some of these bad stereotypes come from, right? So I'll 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 tell you about like if I think about some of the the worst um contact centers and call centers back in the day that I've been inside or, or worked in, if I think about the things that make them that way, it's it's one, the organization, I know it's leaders, um, haven't seen the strategic value of the contact center. And so they vote with their wallets in terms of how it's funded. They vote in terms of how they view the employees. And it's very obvious, right? It's an unnecessary cost that needs to be shrunken down to zero, right? Like it's, I would, I would avoid this whole thing if I can. And the environments are very, very over surveillance, if you will, over surveilled, if you will, right? So there's monitoring of everything. I mean, the contact center measures everything anyway, but it's, it's like, the environment just screams, right? Um, 
I don't trust you, right? Physically, I got to be seeing you. And then with systems and tracking everything, and it's all about metrics. And you, 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 you get down that road and it's like, for me, the, the, the moment was there is a, and you can, I'm sure you can actually find it. There is a, a review on Glassdoor and I'm not going to mention, mention the names, but, um, where the rep who, who's still working there, by the way, uh, said some variation of, I bet prisoners have more freedom than we do. <laughs> like, it's like it was heartbreaking almost, right? So, so, so those are things that I I think usually make up these negative stereotypes, and in this case, it's prevalent enough. Um, at least it used to be, to the point that when I walk into a contact center, my expectations, t- I, even till this day, tends to be really, 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 really low. And I think it'll be good if you can talk through the the items, the the anatomy, um, the list of things that if you're listening to this, you know, okay, if you're doing these things, this is where why your shop may be falling in this on the negative side of, of perceptions of working in a contact center. Well, I think you, I think you, you, you ran through a word there that is is probably the core of poor contact centers and that is the trust factor mm. uh, that you do you trust your employees to do the right thing do you give them the right tools the right training the right coaching to trust them to do the right thing it, it reminds me we make we make 90% of the rules to deal with 10% of the employees but we enforce them on 100% of the employees so um uh, it reminds me of a story about my son. My back, this was, let's see, he's in his mid thirties, 34 ish, somewhere in that neighborhood. So he was probably a sophomore in high school. So this was probably 10 years ago, right? Uh, somewhere in that neighborhood. And, uh, phones, phones were out. I worked for Bell South mobility. So getting a phone was an easy thing. So he was one of the first kids to have a flip phone, Right. And, uh, you know, to, to chase a rabbit, he could, he could text you on his flip phone inside his pocket. And like <laughs> back when you had to hit AAA to get a, to get a C to work. Right. 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 So, so he, he was well-versed. He was one of the first kids with a phone. So of course the school has a rule. You can't have a phone. So what is, what do we do? I say, look, this was, this was not too long after nine 11, uh, or, or right in that area. And it was like, you, you take the phone, you leave it in your pocket, you don't take it out. And, um, because I want to know where you are. I want you to be safe. So I text him midday and tell him to call me when he gets a chance. So he goes in my fault, not his. Right. So he goes in the bathroom, goes into the cell, dials his dad, talks to his dad, <laughs> comes out of the, comes out of the, comes out of the, uh, bathroom <laughs> stall coaches standing there and takes his phone, right? So now as a parent, you had to go up and get the phone in order for him to get the phone back. So I go up and get the phone. He follows me to the car. I hand him the phone back and I tell him, don't take the phone out again. I won't text you anymore. So, so first of all, I'm not a, I'm not a rule believer because I believe that the night, the, the hundred percent rule was made for the 10% of kids who would abuse the rule. 
right. if they let everybody have a phone. So it's an example of there are legitimate reasons for my kid to have a phone at school. Enforce the rule that he's not going to mess with it, that he's not going to text, that he like make right. the rule something that fits the reality. So back to the call center world, um, you know, do, do you do you have the rule? Is the rule about checking out for lunch, punching out for lunch, no later than five minutes after your assigned schedule? Is that because it's easier on you from a WFM perspective, from a workforce management perspective? Is that because you had a bunch of people that were checking out early? Is that because you had a bunch of people that were checking out uh, late? Is it because you, um, because it's easier to just make a, a rule and then abide by it? Like, consider why you have the rule. Uh, I think that we have way too many rules in contact centers. And again, what 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 is invariably the answer is, well, if you don't have the rule, then you'll have chaos. Not right. true. No. If you don't have the rule, 10% of the people will do the wrong thing and you have to deal with them. And that makes you uncomfortable probably, right? <laughs> right. Because right. the customer, the agent says, well, there's no rule against that. Well, you, you're a human being and you're an adult in an adult job. You should know better that you can't take a 45 minute lunch on a 25 minute schedule. So uh, trust matters. Um, the, the other things that come into play really tie back to that, but coaching and coaching for the sake of making an employee a better employee, not for the sake of catching them doing something wrong. Mm. Um, wow. You know, uh, how, how much of our quality management process is about validation or our certification that we're doing the minimum level of okay is your is your is your quality management form all subjective and because somebody in the room when i ask that question is going to go well you have to be able to give them a score yeah but does it have to be subjective because 85 percent of what they do on the phone call is is not I'm sorry. It's not. It is subjective. It's not objective. Right. So, so you've got. If you if you've got yes no, well, what if there's a maybe? <laughs> if you've got one to ten, well, what what if it's really they did really good in one area and not in another? I, I love. My answer to this is: if you really want to s spend a couple of weeks making your quality management about making employees better. Get rid of the form, for, not forever. I realize you got to have a form. I didn't mean to make you so nervous. Calm down. <laughs> Calm down. Get rid of the form. Blasphemy. Get rid of the form. Take out a piece of paper and draw a line down the middle of it and sit down with an employee, listen to a call and say, here's all the things that you did really well and here's all the places that we think you could you could get better. And ask them, so what do you think you did well? And write it down and then share with them what your thoughts are. And then on the right side, what do you think you could have done differently after we listen to the call together? So here's some things I think you could have done different. And then if, if, you, if a score just is part of your culture, ask them, what kind of score do you think you should get? 
on a scale of one to ten, how would you rate that call? Well, it's it was a eighty. Okay. Well, I would have given you an eighty-five. I would have given you a ninety. So now we're huh. we're 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 correlating what reality might be around quality. So are you coaching for the sake of improving quality or are you are you quality monitoring for the sake of validating numbers and metrics? So those are the two that come to mind immediately is is that um, I, I, I just I just think that it, it, it becomes down to trust and the relationship with their supervisor. Right. Um, that, that's where the that's that if I fix those two things. Right. It covers up the fact that they're not getting paid as much as they should. Now, you still got to do something about that. You still got to you still got to work with your management to explain why you you can't be the lowest paying job in the marketplace and right. You know you know who has brought that that standard up a little bit is not is they get they get a lot of negative pub. But the local McDonald's is paying fifteen, sixteen dollars an hour now. Yeah. So, so you you can't you can't pay less than that. Listen, um, listen. I I I used to, and I'm I'm ashamed to admit this. I used to manage a contact center. This is in two thousand and three, and there was a McDonald's that we sort of shared a parking lot with, and. It was an outsourced shop and my reps will quit and go make less at McDonald's, right? So, of course, I, I'll go eat at the McDonald's and I would run into them and I would take it personally, right? I was like, wait a second. Like, like you would and, – and, and Bob, that's the thing, right? Like, and when I would talk to them, what they would say is that, yeah, the – it's the job, right? Like it was, it was like, yes. Oh, by the way, the, you know, the pay wasn't great. Um, so we were fairly comparable with McDonald's, but McDonald's was slightly less a quarter or something like that. But they would go like, yeah, I, I want to go do that. So I, I like the McDonald's is raising the bar and companies like that in terms of pay. I think that forces us as an industry to, 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 to catch up. But the thing I love most about what you said was that a lot of what you just said Guys, if you're listening to this, you don't have to spend a penny. Um, you still have to figure out how to justify and bring more resources there, but you don't have to spend a penny to change those things. And in my case, back then, however many years ago that was, uh, if I if I made the environment or if I could have made some of those changes, then then despite the fact that the pay wasn't where where it needed to be, they felt better and they they would they would have um, had more sort of pride in their job. Well, and and I, I'm still amazed when I walk into contact centers in today's world with, with all the noise that's in, I mean, the ICMI, contact center pipeline, um, CCNG, all of the all of the conferences that are out there, and all the opportunity for you to learn as a contact center leader that you walk into a call center and they're still they're still giving us a scorecard on average handle time by at the agent level. Uh, right. mm -hmm. So, so you need to look at your metrics. Also, are are your metrics driving the right behaviors that you want to be driven? Yep. Because I, not that I ever did this when I worked in a contact center as an agent, but you know, you can unplug your headset just a little <laughs> bit, and you can you can go hello, 
Hello? <laughs> Hello? And hang up on the person. On the on the quality management side of it, it sounds like there was something wrong with the phone, right? right? So so I can hang up on 10 people one an hour, eight people one an hour, and increase my average handle time, decrease my average handle time and my average number of interactions easily. So not that I would ever do it. I just know it's possible, right? <laughs> Uh, so, so, you know, are you driving, are, are you building out metrics that drive the right, right behavior? And by the way, I just want to come back. I, I, I said 30%. I don't even know that it's 30% of the contact centers. I think contact center jobs have become much more professional than they used to be. Yeah. I mean, I, I started out in a world where we were in a, in a unionized call center and, you know, it took three form three form fives to get a form six and three form sixes for you to get fired. So, you know, writing somebody up was part of the culture because that's just part of the culture. I I don't see that today. I see people trying to build professional level customer experience focused, customer focused, and in many cases, agent focused, Right, employee-focused environment. So, it, it's the tweaking at this point. When you get to that point, when you when you're an insurance company, you're you're paying good wages, you have good benefits, you're you really don't have a traditional um, tactical contact center agent. What you have is a customer service s- specialist that's supporting the customer. That's when these little nuances make a difference. Um, that's when, that's when things like coaching and trust and those things come into play. I agree. What what I would love you to leave us with is, and I, I'm, if you're just joining, this is uh, the curated experience with, uh, Bob Furness and Amas Tanuma and, um, lots of really good nuggets are here, but Bob, what I would love for you to leave us with is if I'm listening to this and I'm trying to figure out where to start outside of doing surveys, how do I get to the heart of my employees feel this way? Uh, they feel insert things here. They feel like you don't trust me on and on and on. Uh, what are some techniques that would help me as a leader in this contact center to get specifics from these folks, right? Um, because, as you know, they do these company surveys and the contact center feedback gets buried in there. How can I get to the meat of, hey, uh, Mr. Manager, Supervisor, whatever. These are the things you're doing specifically that I that makes me feel in, in these negative ways that contributes to to this. Because I think the start of the makeover is figuring out um, what the issue is, right? Like, what 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 do you struggle with? Yeah, the tough part about what you asked was you, you eliminated the way that I would have gone, and you probably knew that's the reason why you eliminated surveys, <laughs> uh, because that was way too easy. But, but you know, the we'll, we'll go back to the trust factor. You've, you've got to build a personal relationship with people before they share personal mm. struggles. Mm. So, who, you know, who do you – how do you know that employee? What do you know about that employee? And – you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about COVID issues and this need to get closer to the people. Um, there's never a better time for you to just pick up the phone and say, 
um, how are you doing? Uh, how's things? How? Now, it may freak them out if you've never been that person, right? Right. If you ask how their kids are doing and you've never, you've had, they, you've been their manager for six months or a year and you go, how are your kids? They, they, they may go, well, why do you care? <laughs> which but, is which is a sign, right? But you got to start somewhere. It's a sign, but 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 what to answer your question directly? It's really about having conversations. I mean, you can hire somebody like me or you to come in, and you know what we're going to do? We're going to sit down with your employees. We're going to have um, employee sessions. We're going to call map. your employee yeah. today's. We're we're going to say so. Tell us, yeah. Tell us what's broken. Tell us what you think. Tell me how I can help make your job better. I, the, it, it's it's weird that thirty something years later, it's still the same question. It's what can I do to make your job better? But then it's doing something about that. If if you know if there's not enough microwaves in the in the break room, then put some more microwaves in the break room. If there's, if, if I haven't seen my supervisor in three days or three weeks, make sure your supervisors are available to your agents and, and take away whatever it is. I mean, I went through an exercise in our contact center where we did, uh, we, I had my 10 supervisors in the room and I said, tell me everything that you do. And it became the list of 80 because right. we came up with 80 things that they did. And then we said, okay, let's prioritize these 80. And so we got down to the prioritization to about 50. And then we said, okay, the last, how long does it take you to do these last 10? And let's say, I don't remember specifically, but let's say it was five hours every week. Okay. Well, we're just going to stop doing that. We're not going to do these reports anymore. We're not, we're going to stop this. You got five hours. You got to go spend with your employees because mm. you just told me that I was taking up five hours of your time by having you do this. So pushing your supervisors back into the into the role of knowing what their people need and what they do, and then listening to your supervisors. So it's not, unfortunately, man, it's not rocket science. It's yeah, just, there's no no there's no magic bullet. Yeah, no easy there, button. There, there's no technology that makes it better. <laughs> And, and I'm and I that's what I do for a living is implement <laughs> technology. But that's the reason why I love talking to you is because and and to this audience is because it really is about the simple things. And some of those things as a supervisor 25 years ago, I did because it was who I was as a person. Right. And I didn't know what I was doing right because I hadn't been to ICMI and I hadn't read the books. But today you can go to contact center pipeline and sign up for um, a digital version. Yeah. 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 You, you can learn and, and learn how to be a better employee, a better leader uh, in a contact center today in ways that w wasn't available 25 years ago. Yeah. And, and, and the beauty of a lot of what you said that, that brings me joy is that uh, you didn't talk about contact center transformation, like right? people hear makeover, uh, like we got to get all this ROI, millions of dollars. No, no, no. What we're talking about here, folks, are things that are, a lot of them are in your control as, as sort of a management team of things you can start to do. Not that you shouldn't move the big rocks, 
but these are places to start so that we can begin to to really, really change the conversation around what the prototypical contact center is. Yeah, and if you're a manager, you have the ability to affect the supervisors who report to you. And if you're a supervisor, challenge your manager. Challenge your manager to go, you know what, I think I was on this podcast and there was this guy and he said that we do a lot of things we shouldn't be doing. Can we have a session like he talked about? Can we get in a room and talk about all the things we do and see if we can figure out what we can stop doing? Because I would really like to spend more time on the floor. I, I bet you money that he or she will say, sure, that's a great idea. Yeah, I I, I agree. Bob, this was this was awesome, and um, thanks for spending um, part of your Friday <laughs> Friday with us and for the audience. I, I can't wait to post this one live, and you know Bob's info and mine will be there. We'll put it on the Facebook group as well. We'll love your your feedback and input and whatever else you guys want us to to cover in in the show. Bob, have a uh, great weekend. Look forward to chatting next week. You too, Amos. Thanks, everybody. Bye, guys. And until next time, remember, the experience is either random or intentionally curated. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to The Curated Experience with Amos Tanuma. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll join the conversation online by visiting us at curatedcx.com or at amostanuma.com. That's C-U-R-A-T-E-D-C-X.com or A-M-A-S-T-E-N-U-M-A-H.com. And please invite your friends and colleagues to visit our website or iTunes where they can check this and previous podcasts. This has been a Bian LLC production. Check us next time for another edition of The Curated Experience.